So I want to start off with uh, some housekeeping. If you're, if you're at East, uh, this, this does pertain to you, but those of you at West, if, <laughs> if you don't like sitting shoulder to shoulder, there's other services. Just wanted to bring it up. Um, East right now is probably like, we got room. And so just if some of us don't like shoulder to shoulder, when I go to the movies or a restaurant, I'm like, do not get close to me. I, I believe in the buffer seat. I don't know. But I just wanted to bring it up. You might be brand new and just going, man, this place is crazy. All these people. East would love to have you. Uh, same sermon, same, all that stuff. And, uh, or other times, just here to help. I love you. Housekeeping is done. I want you to think about a question, uh, all of us. What motivates you? Don't answer out loud just yet. What motivates you? If you want to go, like, maybe baby steps, like when you wake up in the morning, what is, like, exciting to you? Some of you are, like, continuing to stay in bed is what's exciting. So here's what I'd like for you to do. This is very simple, but I have an agenda. I'm going to give you about 20 seconds, maybe 30 seconds if you get a bit crazy. And I want you to think about that when you wake up, something that you're looking forward to on a pretty regular basis. And what I'd like for you to do is, even if you're online right now, maybe you've got nobody to say it to, just at least think this. Uh, when you wake up, what is one thing that you're excited about? It's a very simple question. I'm going to give you 20 seconds, maybe 30 seconds. Talk amongst yourselves, tell someone, and hear from someone else. Go. Okay. Some of you need to get out more often, talk to some people more often. It's quick, it's good. Uh, some of you, this was easy. Like, like I, just, I just teed up your relationship and you leaned over and you're like, you motivate me. You, <laughs> you. Some of you missed it and now you're in trouble. Sorry about that. Um, some of you, like, you went like, you went deep on this. Some of you are more like me. You're like, uh, coffee. Like, that's the first thing? I mean, I, and, and, and I, okay? And, uh, the, so you can see that there's, there's, there's levels to that answer. The question can go as far as you want it to go, but I think it's an important question about what motivates you. And as you and I talk about, because this is what we're talking about for a few weeks, we're going to talk about collectively church in general. Think about it this way. What motivates you to either be a part of a church, to tune in to a service, to attend, to do whatever you do, however you consider yourself and church, you right now have something that's motivating you. Could be as simple as curiosity. Could be as deep as God and a lot of things around that. So, so you see, this is a big deal. So let's go a little psychology here on components of motivation, because I want, I want to example why some of us said things the last week of December that have not played out. 
Resolution, you know what I'm talking about? Okay, so components of motivation, activation, decision to initiate a behavior. Typically, New Year's Day, it's easy to start a good diet the next day because of all that you ate and you feel miserable and you're like, I am ready to activate eating healthy and doing a great job on this. But then persistence has to play well role. Some of us were like, I am in on this in the first commercial for pizza. You're like, I, we can do that. We can start in another way. And then the intensity, the obvious stuff, intensity, concentration, and vigor in the pursuit. This is what psychology says are the components to motivation, to, like, to not just like have an idea, to not just have a hope or an ideal, but you and I, day in, day out, being motivated to do what we need to do. Summed up motivation is why you're doing what you're doing. Or flip it, right? Your lack of it or you're wrestling with it, it could be all tied up in, in what you're not doing, what's not going on. So I, I don't know what kind of sermon you're expecting, but this series, these three sermons, not three sermons just today, for those of you who are new, not just, just, just one today. Uh, this comes straight out of my time alone with God, what I would call my devotions. And I, I would say, this year particular for us as a church, you and I have to examine or at least have a conversation about why in the world are we a part of the church? What is the church? What is going on with it? Is, it? is it good? Is it bad? Is it toxic? Is it healthy? What should church be? What should it not be? But then if you want to take it further, here, if you have, or maybe this is you, you're like, I'm done with church. I don't like church. Likely, if you have a friend who said that, or if you said that, it wasn't because of the building that you were frustrated with. It was the people involved in it, Right? I'm just, I'm speaking up as a pastor's kid. So what we've also got to do is if we're going to talk about the church, we really have to talk about you and I. You got me? And so perhaps you've wrestled with why you're doing what you're doing in life. Or maybe, maybe, God, what is my purpose? What should I be doing? How should I be doing? How should I be parenting? How should I do the dating stuff? How should I do work stuff? You've ever wrestled with like, how should I do all of this as a follower of Jesus Christ? And did you know? Jesus said one sentence. He said more than that. But he gave us one sentence that could actually drive the rest of your entire life. Like, it, this sentence could be, and I'm not over-promising this, okay? Somebody's like, really? No. This one sentence that Jesus said is often like skirted over, no big deal. Some of us think, well, that doesn't apply to me, or it's like, well, blah, blah, blah. He says one sentence, and it is, as I would say, it's tattoo-worthy. <laughs> it's, it's put in front of your face worthy. No matter how old you are, no matter how much of the Bible that you know or don't know, this one sentence could actually be, listen to this, the fuel that you have for the rest of your entire life, no matter what environment you're ever in. One sentence. Would you like no sentence? <laughs> Matthew chapter 4. 
Well, walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers talking about Jesus. He saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter. If, if you're not familiar with the Bible, you're like, okay, I've heard of Peter, maybe a church named after Peter. You're talking about Peter. And Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. They were, they were at work. And he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately, they left their nets and followed him. They dropped their jobs. They quit their jobs. They're like, all right, I'm done. Family, all that. Okay, let's roll amazing thing that we miss in this moment. We're like, we forget about what literally just got dropped and put away. And what Jesus just said, I love this. Following Jesus can be very difficult, right? It does not have to be complicated. Let me sum up what he said. Very simple. Follow me. I will make you fishers of men. I'm not only going to tell you that I think I am 100% confident that Jesus didn't just say that for those two dudes. I am, if you, if you read your Bible later on, Jesus is going to say to one of those guys, I'm going to build the church on you. And you can't disconnect the fact that how he opened up the entire thing was one sentence, follow me and I'm going to make you fishers of men. And he was establishing and creating the church. Now let's talk church. Because did you know that we have opinions about church? I am not going to ask you to share that with each other. Because <laughs> I don't want to hear it. <laughs> so when Jesus, when Jesus talked about church, he used a word, not an English word, sorry. Uh, here's the word that he would have used, ecclesia. Uh, by definition, how people would have understood it, when he said church, gathering of people united by Common identity and purpose. For a minute, you kind of need to stay there, and you're like, yeah, but what denomination? Not, didn't, didn't bring that up. Yeah, but what kind of style? How good was the coffee? Like, you, I, what I wanted to show up that when Jesus brought up church, he used the word ecclesia. Now, he's using, at that time, a very... Uh, culturally understood word because church could have been used in other contexts. It could have been used for people who were united, uh, some other identity and common purpose, all that kind of stuff. But what I find fascinating is by definition, words like, like united, that doesn't sound so much like the church nowadays. United, a common identity and a purpose. And this is why you and I both have our own stories of churches not really representing Jesus all that well. Like, I, I assure you that most of us at least have a friend who will never go to church ever because we, people, jacked it up. But when Jesus brought up church, he was intending that it would be his church, united and bound to him, all about him, identity in him, common purpose. Let's be all about God ever said to be about. And we can go like, ooh, we've missed this a little bit. In fact, let me, let me show you. There's many, many uh, storylines you could go down. Like, like, when did we deviate? When did things get crazy? Because it seemed good and then it, then it wasn't. Let me give you just one basic example. It's a language example. When the Bible was translated into German, 
Let me show you the word that was, was used uh, in German. This is the word for church. So if you're translating the Bible into German, this is what it meant. What you and I need to look at for a second is how vastly different the definition is. This is why a lot of us, we even say today, like, like I, I went to church, and you're talking about sometimes, well, oftentimes, a particular building. And you're not wrong, by the way. But the problem is some of us have decided that all that church is, is the building. And if you're there, you did it. In fact, look at it. Let me add some, some words to this that might give... There's a movement of assembled people, which is what I believe Jesus intended in what he said, but some of us think it's bricks and mortar. And let me just, uh, I'm, okay. You okay with no filter, David? Because here's how this is going to go. When I was in seventh grade, summer, I was at a youth camp. This is why I, one of the reasons I strongly believe in, in making your kids go to youth camp whether they want to or not, because I didn't want to go. Seventh grade, we're, we're at a, a, a worship service. The dude's preaching. I have no idea what he said at all. Like, not a bit. I wish it was more romantic than that. And I'd be like, wow, he said this profound. I have no idea. I do know at, near the end, because I'm a pastor's kid, I was trained to even know the cadence, the tone. When a pastor was finishing the sermon, I could tell. And so he was finishing. I was like, so I looked up and he says, all right, if any of you feel like God has put onto your heart to one day be in ministry full time, I want you to come up. And my curiosity wasn't what he said, but why he was staring at me. <laughs> Later on, I would realize that he didn't know who I was and he was not staring at me. Oftentimes, that's the Holy Spirit making you like, how in the world? What? You, you, it's like you can't be unseen. You're like, why are you? Okay, this is for me. And I went up, stood on stage, had no idea what I was doing other than I resonated with, I think God has put this on my heart to be a part of spending the rest of my life, wherever this is, being a part of the church, helping lead the church. I say that to tell you, it was not God saying, David, I want you to spend the rest of your life in a building, gathering people into a building. Do not allow that a part of the definition, a part of the definition of church is the building. We're in South Dakota. We have to have buildings. <laughs> I have buddies in Southern California who worship like outside with a little canopy over I'm like, you wimps. <laughs> we have got to be set, because like, many of us have lost motivation. We've lost this relationship with God has like, like the, the flame has kind of died out because many of us treated following the way of God, being a part of this whole thing, which is going to a building, sitting in a seat. And I refuse for us to be that kind of church. We must gather and we must go. And we've got to know this or we're going to lose. We're going to lose out on life. So let me show you what I have been learning and wrestling with God, and it needs to be passed on. Follow me. I will make you fishers of men. What I learned is that basically it, it, it is what Jesus said. Spend the rest of your life, Christians and church, doing this. Follow me. Exalt God. 
I will make you edify the saints. I'll explain that later, but like grow and mature. Fishers of men evangelize the world. Right there is the motivation you can have for the rest of your life where, wherever you're at to be a part of. So we're going to start, obviously, with the first one. Let's go after this. Exalt God. I would tell you what's the number one thing that God wants you to know if you're either a new believer or maybe you've got become a lukewarm or you're just like, okay, tell me. No one's told me what the number one thing is. I'm going to tell you it's to follow him, to exalt him. I can give you a, an easy example. The first chapter of the Bible. If you ever think about what you would do first, if you were to write a book, the first thing you would say, if you were to do a lecture, the first thing that you would say, it's oftentimes the most important thing. That's why you listen right at the very beginning because like, okay, let's get it. Well, the first chapter of the Bible, watch how this plays out. Let me just, my Genesis 1-1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Okay, so he's first. Then God said, let there be light. God said it, let there be light. And guess what happened? Because he said it. There was light. That's how it works with him. And God saw that the light was good. In other words, he determines what's good and what's bad. If you want to get all nerdy about this, the first chapter of the Bible, God mentions himself 32 times. If in my conversation with you, our first impression, if I mention myself 32 times, one, you're going to be like, that's the last time I'm talking to him. <laughs> but it should give you, you and I should not miss these clues of how God sees life. We are designed, created, life functions. Whether you believe in him or not, that doesn't change the fact. We are to exalt God. In other words, life is not about me. It's one of my favorite beginnings to the book. Rick Warren wrote, uh, Purpose Driven Life starts off. It's, the, it's annoying to read it. Uh, it's not about you. One of the most difficult things, though, to get, right? Because all of a sudden our day starts rolling. And we're hoping that people acknowledge what they need to acknowledge, that they'll hopefully use their turn signals, that they'll, the kids will do what they need. We begin to actually think, though, I hope it goes certain ways we think about us. And no, if you want to know how to do life, you know how Jesus led with, he led with, follow me. He did not say, hey, we're going to start a democracy and we're just all going to have a vote here and we're going to see who's going to be. No, he starts off with these dudes he doesn't really even know. Well, he kind of knew them, but they, he's like, hey, um, by the way, we're going to, I'm going to say some other things, but starts with me. A.W. Tozer tells us how easy this is. <laughs> Eternity won't be long enough to discover all that God is or praise him for all he's done. Would you like to know why I use that quote? Because one of the things that keeps you and I from exalting God is we dwell on how bad our lives are. What has many of us pausing the exalt talk isn't because we don't believe God is worthy. We just think we got a lot of problems we need to deal with first. And what many of us are doing right now is we're not exalting God because we're consumed with what's around us. The early church had glimpses of getting this correct. It's worth looking at. Uh, 2 Corinthians. Uh, you see, we don't go around preaching about ourselves. That's good. We preach that Jesus Christ is Lord 
And we, we ourselves are your servants for Jesus' sake. Note there, this is, this is good. They aren't serving so that they'll be liked. They're serving for the sake of Christ. Meaning, if they're oozing, like this is all about God. Ephesians spells that out, I think, even more directly. God's purpose, 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 was that we Jews, who were the first to trust in Christ, would bring praise and glory to God. I tried to make it easy for you to understand this. Uh, purpose, bring praise and glory to God. Uh, I wish my teachers and professors had summed up their lectures, partially because I didn't pay attention, but it also helped me uh, like get what was being said here. God's preferences and desires are the center of the target. If you want to know how to start living your life on purpose, have a motivation that doesn't get like flamed out and, and, and go away because of a situation, you make God everything. You make sure that you're exalting God as much as possible and exalting yourself as little as possible. Now, it seems like in a church environment, you're like, yeah. But it's difficult, isn't it? Let me give you an example. There's uh, three universities that started doing research, and the reason they were doing research is they want to actually sell their research to companies, and they wanted to teach the companies how to do their marketing, how to actually like, get their products into people's hands. And so these three universities studied people like you and I to find out what these companies should do to get you and I to buy stuff. This is not going to be good. <laughs> Our research suggests that Firms should consider customers' narcissistic tendencies. They're talking about you and I. Some of you are like, where are these universities? Uh, <laughs> as well as the ability to influence their current states of mind to what? Exploit the largely untapped potential of mass customization systems. Sometimes you're like, isn't it just nice that companies think about us? They're not doing that. In fact, another quote uh, tells you what's playing out. Studies show narcissism has increased 30% between 79 and 2006. Some of us are like, and it has increased. And is likely to continue with the rise of social media and self-promoting trends, and I'd say we, we would agree. The reason I bring this up is I don't think exalting God is as easy as we treat it is while we sit in church. I think exalting God requires a great deal of effort and discipline. Discipline meaning, what if it doesn't play out your way? Let me look, exalt, follow me, look at Psalm, I think this is profound. I will exalt you, my God and King, I will, and praise your name forever and ever. Do you know what that says? Even if you don't do what I want you to do, even if I get a bad diagnosis from a doctor, even if I don't have the money that I want, even if, they, if she breaks up, forever and ever. This is a commitment to say, God, no matter what, I recognize good, bad, awesome, not awesome. Life is about you. That's why the Psalms helps us. I will exalt you, my God and King, and praise your name forever and ever. I will praise you every day. You're like, well, he must not have had bad days. Have you read about this guy? Great is the Lord. 
He is most worthy of praise. No one can measure his greatness. Let me tell you a few stories. Help give some color to exalting God. Uh, one example, and this might confuse you because if you've been here long enough, you know that I love hip-hop and rap, and that might weird you out me saying that, but anyways. Uh, so let me tell you about, obviously, Johann Sebastian Bach, okay? I'm going to do a ballet for you just for a second. I'm just... Now, I know, I know, I know not everyone listens to classical music. Some of you are like, this is, that, what is this? And you're thinking, this is the end of a movie. This is an end of a written by Johann Sebastian Bach. The reason I bring it up, you and I call that music, correct? Right? That's music. I think he would call it a prayer. Let me show you. When he would write his music, at the top of the page, he would write the initials JJ, Yesu Yuva, meaning Jesus help me. When he would get done writing what stuff like what you and I just listened to, he would put the initials S-D-G, Soli Deo Gloria, to the glory of God alone. You watching this? Jesus, help me. I'm going to start before anything gets drafted. Jesus, help me. And at the end, it wasn't, and I'm amazing. That was really good. Jesus, help me. To the glory of God alone. A beautiful example that he recognized. He's a composer. See, someone's like, well, I'm not a pastor. I'm not a missionary. No, you and I, no matter what we do, wherever we do it, are called to exalt God. And this is a good historical understanding that wherever you are, you can start and finish and everything in between exalting God. Let me clear up something. The word exalt what does it mean? Exalt means to lift up, which means it's a lifestyle of bowing to him. If you, if you want to live your life on purpose, a follower of Jesus Christ takes the words of Jesus who says, follow me. And you're like, what's that mean? Do I go to church? Sure. Do I stop cussing? Probably smart of you. Here's what I think Jesus was intended. Follow me meant take this posture the rest of your life. And if you want to know, I'm going to say this as a pastor. I get the rights to do this, so listen to this. If you want to know what's wrong with our church and any and every church, it's when any church stops doing this. When we stop bowing to God when we start attending or being a part of a church based on our preferences, when we decide we don't like or we really like or we really want or we no longer want, I'm telling you, you and I, if, if you want to be a part of a church that's doing it the way Jesus said to do it, he starts with not what kind of music do you want, what kind of preaching do you want, what kind of kids ministry do you want, and how good do you want the coffee. He starts with, follow me. He was telling them, and they didn't get it right off the bat. Don't, don't hate yourself and beat yourself up about this. Especially Peter. He did not get it at first. <laughs> but just because he didn't get it doesn't mean Jesus didn't mean it. And when Jesus leads with, 
follow me. He was setting the structure for all Christians and all churches to lead with and live in this kind of posture. If you're in a doctor's office and you don't like what gets said, it doesn't change God's goodness. If you have the most amazing promotion that you, you weren't even expecting, yes, God's good. If you get looked over, God's still good. We need to be this kind of a church. If we are, we're right in line with what Jesus said the church should be about. Much more than bricks and mortar. Another story, another guy, Count Zinzendorf. Some of you now are starting, you're getting worried about what I'm reading. You're like, whoa. This guy has really messed up my life um, in the best of senses. Uh, quick history, Count Zinzendorf, born in 1700, lived to 1760. Uh, not a long life. He was born into a noble family. What that means, if you don't know your history, he's born to a family that basically was almost mandated or given the privilege to be in government and leadership. They had money and plenty of it, and they had influence, plenty of it. So if you were born into a family of nobility, you were expected, I mean, you can think of it in the relevance of uh, kings and queens, right? We're, we know that world right now. That you're expected to carry on the family business. That's what he was born into. He, at one point, finds Jesus, and in other words, decides to follow Jesus and decides, like, you know what? I really don't want to do the government stuff. I, I want to I show people who Jesus is. And so he started showing people who Jesus is. And this will shock you. The government people didn't really like that. Wasn't representing in the ways that they wanted him to represent. He was spending a lot of his time with commoners, helping them know who Jesus is. Eventually, he gets banished because of that. That sounds like a guy who seems to be cool with exalting God no matter what. So much so, here's some quotes from Count Zinzendorf. Here's what he says life should be about. Preach the gospel. Then what? Die. And then what? Be forgotten. What if you and I started doing this? Another quote, I have but one passion. It is he. It is he alone. That's what it looks like to live a life submitted to bowing to God. Perhaps this gives some light to Psalms where it, where it speaks of be still and know you're not God. I know I just added and changed, but you catching the trend? You're not all-knowing you're not all-powerful. You're not God. You don't sit on a throne even if you make your own throne. You don't. You and I, what life is about is exalting God first. So I've been thinking, don't get too scared. I've been, before I ever share this with you, wanted to personally apply this and think about what does this mean for me? I'm 44, probably going through like a midlife crisis. I don't know. I haven't bought a Corvette yet. But anyways, I, but I've been thinking about in my life, like what, what's been a part of my life, what's supposed to be a part of my life. I, I wonder if you wonder 
what I think about? Like as a leader of this church, why are we doing that? What's he really like? What are they really like? And so, in learning about Count Zinzendorf and studying what Jesus showed me, come follow me and I will make you fishers of men, I began to draft what's really in my head. And it's going to be a little vulnerable for me at least, but you, I trust you. But what does it look like for me to exalt God? Here's straight up what's in my journal. Life is about God, so I have nothing to prove. I have nobody to impress. I have nothing to hide. So I'm just going to do the best that I can. And I don't, you're going to have to choose if you trust me on this. But what I want to do is every single evening when I go home and I get to see Katie's face. And I get a, I get to hug her and hug the kids. I want you to know that I never want to have secrets. I never want to be a slave to you or social media or whatever is out there that's even make-believe. And I definitely don't want to live my day thinking I've got to prove myself over and over and over to get God to love me. And I wondered, God, is this not just for me? Is this for our church? What if, what if, what if this posture was as practical as life is about you, God? So I got nothing to prove. Nobody to impress. I got no secret sin. I'm going to do the best that I can today. And I can't wait to have stories. What if we were this kind of a church? Where it wasn't about what things feel like, look like, sound like, taste like. What if we just started looking at what Jesus said? And he started with, follow me. So I'm going to ask a favor. If I could make you, I certainly would. It's a three-week series. Give it all three weeks. And let's let God take, come follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. And let's see what happens when it goes into our souls. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, you are so good to put life into a sentence. Lord, would you forgive me and whoever else is willing to apologize for the moments that we've made life about ourselves and been consumed by whatever. Lord, I pray uh, with all I got, would you do a work in our hearts where we can honestly and passionately begin to be about what you want us to be about? We love you, God. We pray this in your name. Amen.